Because if you just kind of jump in what everyone's doing, uh, you might want to rethink that. Because what I'm seeing is it's 30 year mortgages, you know, eight year car payments, uh, 15 year student loans. It's like you've been sliced and diced. You don't even realize it. That's just the norm now in America. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, hello and welcome to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 85. On this show, we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. Last week on the show, we had Maria Bruno. She is the current head of U.S. Wealth Planning Research at Vanguard. She's worked at Vanguard since 1990, and we talked to her about investing there, the most popular funds at Vanguard, investment portfolio allocation, and her take on where the market is currently. Before we get into the show, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Equity Multiple, for supporting the show. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects accredited investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally manage commercial real estate and create a stronger and more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, feel free to reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll jump on a quick call with you to discuss and send over some information to talk about what we do and our strategies. We partner with a couple groups who have a long track record of success and high returns. So happy to jump on a call with anybody who's interested in that. And also, if you'd like to be on our show as a millionaire interviewee or one who's close to hitting millionaire status, feel free to reach out to us. Our email again is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We think that everyone has something to add to the show, and there are people interested in both one story and investment allocation. So with this show, we're we're trying to capture both of those pieces and, and help all of us out there that are trying to learn more from those that are financially successful. On today's episode, we have Jerry. Jerry is a teacher with a current net worth of $1.2 million, 900000 of which is in BTSAX, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. He and his family currently live in a house worth 70000 in the southeast. Let's get into the interview with Jerry. Jerry, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and, and kind of what you do now? Sure. First, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I always enjoy sharing my story. Well, my name is Jerry, and some of you know me by my former alias, Ed Mills, but I'm just kind of getting away from that. But anyway, I'm the millionaire educator. Um, I've, I'm 55 years old, and um, I'm married, and I have a son, and my wife's also a teacher. And since um, over the last 20 years, we've um, basically worked as public school teachers off and on, and we've um, amassed a million-dollar net worth. It all uh, began, I guess, for the two of us when we went to graduate school and and built up a $45,000 debt. And prior to that, we had never been in debt. And um, next, our next step was uh, me going to Saudi Arabia to try to dig us out of the hole. And um, from there, at age 35, we got up to uh, zero. I was 35. My wife was 33. And, um, you know, that's important to my story because 35 and 33 is not real young. 
and just to be at zero. So if other people are in the same predicament, um, uh, hopefully my, our story can uh, inspire them a bit. From there, uh, we, we got our net worth up to about 100000 in Saudi Arabia. And then we came back to States. And uh, our, our big plan was to go teach on the international school circuit. And um, we were in a small town in Georgia, LaGrange, Georgia. And we were, I don't know, the first year we made about 85000 So turned out public school teaching was a little more lucrative than we anticipated. And we just stayed in it and never went overseas and taught. And um, over the years, we've, we've um, just built our net worth through what I call a hardcore savings. And we've slowly increased our savings rate. It, it, it was uh, shocking to both of us when we finally did, you know, hit the half million dollar mark and then three quarters and a million. And it was just wasn't an overnight success. And it didn't really feel particularly difficult. But um, that's pretty much a synopsis of what we've done as a couple. That's awesome. Congratulations. I want to get a little more into the story. But before we do, what, what's your current net worth today? Oh, I just looked that up today, and it's almost exactly $1.2 million. And how is that broken up? Let's see. About 925000 is in VTSAX in, in um, IRAs. About 50 of that is in a Roth IRA, and the 875 is in um, traditional IRA. And let's see. Um, we have a $70,000 home that we bought here in uh, South Georgia, Statenville, Georgia. And it's, you know, I know people out in the coast, they hear that and they think I probably live in a in a crack house. But um, it's a 3-2 brick ranch. It's a nice home. We're really enjoying this house. We bought it about a year and a half ago. From there, we have about, let's see, 52000 in uh, 457 accounts. And those are that's primarily in cash or it's all in cash, stable value fund, because those are in variable annuity products that are very expensive to invest in. Then we have about $45,000 in cash in our IRAs because we do take um, 72T distributions, and we'll talk more about that. Um, 46000 in HSAs, mostly in VTI, exchange-traded fund, uh, or ETF, I should say. And then finally, $55,000 is in uh, our son's Ed Savings account, 529 plan, and an UTMA that he has. His up is invest in like uh, the Vanguard Life Strategy Growth Fund. That's amazing. So let's just let's just think about this for a second. You didn't really get started till you were thirty five. You're now in your mid fifties, and you've amassed a million dollar net worth. And really, you started below zero because you had some debt that you had to pay off. So basically, what you're telling me is anybody can do it on any income because people think that teachers in 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 this country make the least amount of money, but you've done it. On a teacher's salary, yeah, that that's that's true. And you know, when I first started teaching in Georgia in 1992, I think my first year I made eighteen five. Um, then I went off overseas and taught. Well, when I came back, the the salaries had gone up quite a bit. So you know, in my mind, when I first got back to the states, I was thinking, "Oh, teachers don't make any money." That was a little narrative running through my mind. And I promptly found out that's not true. So I, I believe J.D. Roth said, uh, "You know, be careful about the story you tell yourself." You know, you, you you might think you're working in a, uh, for lack of a better term, a crap hole, and it actually might be a honey hole, but you got to be aware of that, right? Yeah. So Georgia, as far as te- uh, teaching salaries, is one of the better ones in the South, but we are not a union state. We're a right to work state. So I know there's a lot of states that pay teachers a lot more, but it's it's worked great for us here in Georgia. Yeah. So, what? How much of of that would you attribute to? I mean, seventy thousand dollar home that 
obviously means you're not having a big house payment when you first bought the house or maybe you bought it in cash or just in general cost of living is is not as high as other parts of the country. How much of that has been attributed to you being able to save and, and grow your wealth? I think the the low cost of living here has helped a lot. Now, um, this job and my previous job, I, I I became more frugal in a sense, and I really pared down some of these costs. But um, I would say probably in Lagrange, I had a little too much house. You know, my mortgage payment would they, you know, was like maybe thirteen hundred, which that that's nothing I know to a lot of people. But like here, my mortgage was five thirty six. And I believe that was a 50, it was a 15 year mortgage. And, you know, I've just gone ahead and accelerated that payment. I'm, I, I'm done with that mortgage. And, um, so yeah, you know, when, if you don't have a house payment, I pay utilities, um, Amazon Prime membership. I think my water bill is 15 bucks a month. What else? We eat, we do most of the cooking here. There, there's not a lot of restaurants in our town. I think there's a food truck that shows up a few nights a week. Uh, but anyway, Cost of living is not high, uh, but at the flip side of that, I would say enjoyment is very high living here for us. So we have we, we kind of have the best of both worlds. We have a small town feel with great school, great community, and low cost of living. So that that's definitely helping because going forward, um, you know, my wife now we're at a phase where we don't work for money, um, we don't need the money, so we're just we're filling all the buckets, and uh, this year. With their employer contributions, we're we're shooting for one hundred thirty thousand dollars in sa- of savings in two thousand nineteen, and you know not and not having a big mortgage payment and ongoing expenses helps with that, makes that possible. Wow, good for you. So so just looking back, you kind of on your website, right? You track your net worth year by year. Yeah, and, and you can kind of go through and see. And and in the early years, you were you were adding little comparatively to what you're adding now, right? So, so going back to, to Jace's question about how at 35, you know, you were at a net worth of zero, you paid off almost $50,000 in student debt, which is obviously incredible. How did you keep the motivation and the inspiration to, to keep going when maybe at the beginning you felt like you weren't making as big of a impression on your net worth as you could in the future years? Yeah, um, I guess the thing that was motivating me is, is I did know that if I funded the IRA and the 403B, and and we did get I think Tia Kreff and Vanguard added to our 403b list, so we had a what I would deem a cost-effective option at at my job. I realized the impact that would have on my tax bill, and I think just doing that, you know, uh, I think the first year we did thirty thousand to IRAs and 403bs, and and to see that on your side of the ledger, as I like to say, and that, that was our pot of money, and it came off our taxes, that was a very strong motivator to me. Um, looking back, I realized I didn't understand the benefit of a 457 like I should. Had I understood that I had that another bucket that we could have been filling, I think I could have really accelerated my um, my net worth. And, uh, you know, not that I'm crying about it, but... It would have just it would have sped me along the way a lot faster than I actually did. Probably taken off five five years, I would think, to get to you know the the million maybe. Or I, I'm just speculating, but I guess it was the tax reason. Like I said, that really kind of I understood that by saving for myself in those accounts, it reduced my taxes considerably, and I kind of would reverse engineer my taxes so that I could kind of hit my pain threshold, you know, my sweet spot. 
So how did you decide, just taking a step back, how did you decide what to invest in, right? You have Roth IRAs, you have other retirement accounts, you have a 529 for your son, you have HSA. Where did you learn all this? Did you Were you taught this growing up or did you have to learn it on your own? <laughs> I didn't know any of this growing up. Um, <laughs> yeah, like a lot of people, you know, I just got the message, you need to go to college and work hard. And, you know, that's not, I don't want to say it's bad advice, but it's certainly incomplete advice. You know, I kind of view it as I, I played I played a sport for up till halftime before I even knew any of the rules. I learned a lot of the this about investing uh, when I was in Saudi Arabia. We had a lot of free time there, and um, so I, re- I remember reading some of the local books. And I ju- I just came away thinking, you know, low cost index investing is, uh, you know, I won't have bragging rights at the water cooler, but I think it it would it would I knew it would provide a a, a solid way to invest and capture market return. I knew I wanted to use some index funds. I also, I forget, when, I guess when I came back to the States, I started reading uh, 403BYs, trying to figure out what this 403B was. And I quickly learned how it was, you know, the, um, uh, I think some one writer referred to it as the, as the dank seller of the financial services industry. You know, 2.25% variable annuity, that's the average charge on these products. And it's just, it's a K-12 problem na- nationwide, but... um. So I, I, I knew that I was probably going to have to get something offered at my job. And my, my first week um, at the job, I, I sent a district-wide email, and we ended up getting Vanguard and Teagraph from that. So um, I was looking back, that was a very bold move. No one even knew who I was. But, you know, and I knew what an IRA, IRA was. I knew what a 401k was from my um, employer in Saudi Arabia because I was actually on a, um, a military contract through um, a uh, consulting firm. But anyway, so I – you know, I, I didn't know it all at once. Like HSAs, I think I started that in 2012. Um, I, the Ed Savings account, you know, when my son was born, I was frantically searching what could I do to, you know, prepare him for his, his university. And so, you know, it's not hard with the Internet. You can find all the resources you want on that. But the, the, I guess the underlying theme I kept in my head is I wanted to find – Low cost investments because you know I didn't want that. Sometimes you see a product that looks good and you look at what they're going to charge for it and it's not so good suddenly. So all, everything I, I, I use, um, I'm always trying to find uh, something with it's ten basis points or lower. Yeah. So circling back to that, just just running math, you invest seventy seven percent, almost eighty percent of of your net worth into VTSAX, right? So so a huge chunk there. Yeah. How much how much do you spend a year? Do you know? That's a good question. You know, we don't budget. We um well, let's see. Uh I, I just I'm looking at my taxes for 2018. I believe our income was uh it's going to be about 48, dollars I'll have to get my CPA and figure that out. Um but you know, and a lot of that though is because I pulled out money to kind of accelerate the mortgage payment on my house from uh I pulled some money out of a 457. So, I mean, I would say here where we're living, uh, I'm going to round up and say we live on 2500 a month, but I, that's probably probably less. I, I should budget, but I just don't, you know. So maybe but, around uh, $30,000 a year or so. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, last year we were in Mexico, and I, I did chart all our expenses there. It was $21,000 for the year, you know, and that included pub, uh, uh, a private school tuition and all the meals out and taxi rides. So, and that was in Merida, Mexico, which is a city, you know, and, uh, you know, we're frugal, but we also, 
we get a lot of enjoyment out of our spending. You know, we just don't mindlessly spend. What's your biggest expense each month? Hmm. Oh, let's see. Since the mortgage is gone, is it going to, uh, my utility has been about 140 a month, probably groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say when you, I would say, let's say 600 bucks groceries and red wine and, uh, I don't know. We'll say eight hundred bucks if you throw in like meals out. Sure. Went, went for Chinese sure. buffet a day in in town, and uh, so yeah, that that's that's probably our big, biggest expense. We have a paid off car. Uh, we bought a Toyota Prius, and uh, but we don't drive it a lot since we walk to work. Yeah, that, that's a good question. You know, what is my big? Probably food though. Food, restaurants, and wine. And just one, just one car between the two of you. Yes. Uh, gotcha. 2014 Toyota Prius. And then going back, you you said the income was what was 49.7. That's for both of you. 49, yeah, for both. That's you know because I I I, I don't know if you've come across my post, my free money post. Every year I kind of reverse engineer our a tax our taxes, and I know that like for example 2019, I believe it's 44,300 before we owe any money tax wise. But and then I also know, you know, if I want to pay about a thousand dollars in federal income tax, I can add like almost eighty four hundred dollars to that amount. So if I if I get up to fifty, I'm not going to worry about it because I'll just you know pay my thousand dollars, and uh, I'm not going to complain over that because, I mean, the reality is I love where I live. I've been on many places in the world, and I know how a lot of people in the world live. I've, they don't, you know, they dream of being poor in America. I'll just put it to you that way. So if I'm paying a thousand dollars to partake in this experience as an American, so be it. I'll pay it. Yeah. So that's that's your taxable income, right? The forty nine. Just yeah. So we, we, yeah. We clarify for our listeners. Let's round up and say fifty. There you go. There you go. So let's just change gears here. I, I see on, on your net worth. I just I noticed as you track it here, you have liabilities of credit cards, and I, I don't think we've asked this before, but. Yeah. A lot of, you know, it's kind of a, a craze lately, right, to have multiple credit cards and, and try and get points and, and sign up bonuses. And have credit cards played any role in that and helping you build your net worth or have experiences or have you have you kind of shied away from that? Uh, I, oh, let's see, a confession. I, I am a travel hacking male prostitute. I opened up <laughs> so many cards and I built so many miles, you know, Brad Barrett. You know, Travel Miles 101, he's a buddy of mine, and I took his little course. And um, I I opened up quite a few cards, and I, I would say – I don't have any of that in my net worth, by the way, though. But I probably have $50,000 worth of airline miles and hotel rooms. As far as making money off it, though, I, nothing that's really shows in my bottom line. I, I did one year when I wasn't working, Get a, I got a lot of um, – cash back cards enough to where I could fund my son's Ed savings account that year. That generated roughly $2,000 worth of smoke and mirrors money um, and put it in his account because I just didn't want to miss a year of funding that. I, I do like to play the cards game. And, you know, recently I've started doing, selling some trade lines off some of the cards that frankly I just wasn't using. And uh, I anticipate this year that's, you know, I kind of view that as a side hustle. I'm pretty sure we can make $10,000, my wife and I, selling trade lines from our credit cards, maybe as much as fifteen to 18000 So that's kind of a work in progress, and I'll, uh, I plan on writing about that. So 
do you basically consider yourself a free traveler at that point? Well, um, you know, when we were in Mexico last year, we did have the uh, Southwest uh, Companion Pass, and I had, I don't know, probably had 200,000 miles with them. And uh, so it wasn't free, but it was pretty close because I could fly from Atlanta to Cancun for about $75 for the whole, all three of us. And um, I didn't even have to use my points for my wife because I had her as my companion. And um, so we would fly back and forth. I think we made three trips back and forth. and it was not very expensive. Yeah, it, I, I view it as something worth doing, building your, your points. And you don't have to go crazy like I do. You can, you know, just do, do your regular spending through the cards and, uh, and and just build a little stash of points. And what I would recommend people do is just kind of figure out what airlines you would use and what hotel, one or two chains, that you actually have some redemptions in places you go. You don't have to go crazy with it. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I, I'm sorry, I had a quick question. You asked about yeah. income, and maybe I'm confused because I'm thinking of AGI in my mind. Well, that's um, fine. Yeah, my, our income this year—I I don't want to make it sound like we're only making fifty. I think it's actually going to our actual teaching salaries is like one forty-two, and but we put all that money, so we fill all our buckets. Our 457, 403B. So we actually drive our income down to almost zero, really, because we just, we, we, you know, we divert it all. And then we pull money from other sources. So that's what I was thinking in my mind. Um, I pull money from, uh, like I said, my IRA, I have 72 T distributions, 457s, uh, because they're not, there's no tax penalty with taking 457 money from previous jobs. And then I've got money uh, coming in from, say, the uh, what uh, the trade lines now. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, I think there's there's been a few posts out there by different financial minds that have showed that roughly that 150 to 160 on a W-2, you can roughly get down to essentially paying zero tax. And I think that's probably kind of where, where, you, where you kind of reverse engineer yourself into with your AGI being that high, but then your taxable income gets down to, to that 45 to 50 mark. So yeah, I, I, I made a note to myself here. It says uh, $10,000 um, are the remains of our paychecks. That was, you know, so let's say about 800 bucks a month. When it's all said and done, it's what we're getting from our checks per month. Man, that's that's like kind of crazy to think about for a second, though. You, you're making 140000 call it, and and you're taking home... Eight hundred a piece after eight, after everything's done to live on. Eight hundred total. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, it's even crazy, right? But you've got to pay for a house. You're living on eight hundred bucks a month. I mean, it's just kind of hard to fathom for a second for most people in America, right? Because one, they got a house payment. They probably have debt in one fashion or another, where it's credit cards or student loans, and then a car payment potentially. And you've kind of said, "Hey, to heck with all that." Let me put as much money away as possible in investments, and I'm going to live on $800 a month for my day-to-day life. Well, well, and and you know, I, I live on that. That's also have though. Don't forget my 72T. So that's you know, I actually let's say I'm living on 40,000 a year. Okay, because I'm 40. pulling out, you know. So, but what actually comes from my page, our paychecks is about let's say, but 10,000 a year, 800 a month. So yeah, we have other sources of income. But we don't view our our paychecks as you know it's for for saving and investing first. 
and then it's for whatever residual income is left. Yeah. And I mean, I guess we've kind of flipped it on its head. You know, I, I work to save money. We work to save money. Yeah, totally. We don't we don't work for lifestyle at all. Totally, totally. So with that, where do you kind of go from here? I mean, you're in your mid fifties. You you're essentially financially free at this point with with your cost of living. Do you have a target net worth or target something? Is there anything in the pipeline that you're looking towards in the future? Yeah, you know, I get this question now. People are like, so what's the ultimate play here? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I, I've just kind of gotten to a point where I enjoy the lifestyle I have, you know, not having bills and then saving money. And I guess the big thing that's really keeping us here is one, we like the place and our son likes the school. So after this year, he theoretically has five more years here if he's going to do the traditional route. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. As far as like, I mean, I can easily envision having two, three million dollars if I depend on how long I, I keep working. Because, um, when I, when we turn 60, we, we get a pension and it will be from, depending on how much work we do, it'll be 45 to 60,000 between us. And I'm sure that that will more than cover our expenses and we'll probably invest some of that. But, uh, you know, I guess I, I see how people, if they, Save early in life. I see how they get these big numbers. Like, you know, you read about the janitor who is 95 and passes on $100 million to a library, those type of stories. I see how it happens if you're saving and investing over a long period of time. I, I started way late, so, you know, I'll never have a $100 million endowment or anything. But, you know, I mean, $2 million, sure, that'd be fine. But really, it's not about the money. It's more about the the freedom and the stability. Um, I, I don't feel a lot of mental stress related to money, and that's very nice. And uh, I, I realize that I'm very fortunate in that regard because for whatever reason, it just seems like everyone in America is um, just painted into a corner. I, I don't like living like that, and I lived like that before. I'm, I'm so glad I got away from that. Yeah, I think that's great that you, that you share that. So kind of give us maybe take us back 10 years did you ever think that that you were going to end up where you are today in terms of your your freedom with with your finances and kind of the approach that you have in life now? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, ten years ago is when I left the job in the Grange. Uh, I made a big plan spreadsheet and gave, you know I was a mad scientist for a few days and wrote this little memo for my wife. And I basically said, you know, look, we need to quit our jobs and take jobs somewhere else in Georgia. And basically, the, the the crux of the plan was we're going to live off our 457 money and then fully fund all these other accounts. Well, we did that. And in three years, we saved $250,000. But when we did that and I saw that we could, you know, go to, you know, Mach, Mach 2 on the savings, I, I, I really became a, a devotee to hardcore savings. When, when you're committed to saving money and through, you know, tax advantage accounts, it's a double win. It lowers your taxation and you, it's the fast forward button on your net worth building. So, you know, since that time, let's see, um, after those three years, we, I took a half a year off and then my wife and I took a full year off. Then we worked two years and then we took two more years off. So it, it really, you know, our, our friends and our relatives, they, kind of don't get it. They're just like, how can you not work? Well, we have no bills and we have uh, enough money to cover expenses. That's that's the reality. 
and we don't have expensive tastes, but it, it, it's, uh, when everyone is kind of following the herd and you're going against the, the current a little bit, it, I, I enjoy that. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I talk about this stuff and write about it occasionally just to kind of inspire people. Because if you just kind of jump in what everyone's doing, uh, you might want to rethink that. Because what I'm seeing is it's 30-year mortgages, you know, eight-year car payments, uh, 15-year student loans. It's like you've been sliced and diced. You don't even realize it. That's just the norm now in America. Yeah, it's true. Do people know you're wealthy? Either in your family or those in your neighborhood or people you work with, your friends? Well, they, they know we, we have net worth, but they, I don't think we're considered rich, you know, because just the way, I, I mean, I, I, for example, I, I have a pair of jogging shoes, running shoes I run in most days, and I've had them since 2012. They're my favorite shoes. So, and they, they look like they're old and they've got a lot of miles on them. I don't really, I don't dress like a bum, but I'm definitely not uh, the snappiest dresser. I drove a, we drove a Mitsubishi Gallant for 12 years and put, got it to 300,000 miles before we donated it to charity. And we had a, a, a 1998 Volvo, the same thing for 12 years. That was kind of our backup car. So, you know, I think there's, people know we have some net, some net worth, but they wouldn't say we live a rich lifestyle. Sure. But it's a highly enjoyable lifestyle. Sure. Do they, do they give you any flack for how you live your lifestyle? Do they feel like you should spend more or that you're too frugal? Some people do, but, you know, I, I'm not trying to be ugly here, but a lot of people that make those comments generally have no basic financial understanding of money. And, you know, that I, I, maybe I'm coming across as a jerk here, but I, I hear people all the time, you don't spend your money. It's like, well, wait, if I did that, I wouldn't have any money. I mean, a lot of people, they just expect me to go on a, on a, on a, a two week bender in Vegas, you know, and it's like, I don't want any of that. I'm, I don't like, and, and you know, this kind of goes back to some things I've seen in my own lifetime and family members. I, I do not like the high roller mentality. You know, I don't like bling and you make it rain. I, I, I loathe that mentality. And, um, so I, I wouldn't say I'm super cheap. I've just, I just got to where I don't really, if there's nothing I want, I don't feel I have to spend money on stuff. Gotcha. Have you ever used a financial advisor? Well, no, for a couple of reasons. I, I you know, I did. My wife and I did get our MBAs at some point um, when we were out in Texas in grad school, and uh, I did do some of the. I completed the coursework for the CFP. I just never took the test or did the work requirement. So I had some knowledge and all that, and financial advisor. From what I've seen, the 403B market, I never saw a lot good written, especially, you know, uh, 15, 18 years ago. You know, I don't know if you know some of those old, um, articles like Shark Attack. And what, what I, the reason I was, I was turned off by that is I, once I understood that these guys worked under a suitability standard and that were just basically employed by their, their firms, they're selling me a product. So. And I used to see some things, you know, variable annuities with, you know, really high rates with load charges. And, of course, they've all got surrender fees. So I was really put off by um, by some of those guys. And, uh, you know, and I've had, I've been approached, like, to possibly work for them. And, and I just told a guy, you know, I couldn't sell these products to people and, and live with myself. I just thought they were too expensive. Sure. 
you know. So last question here before we yeah. we jump into some some rapid fire questions. Sure. Has has being a millionaire affected your happiness or, or confidence levels? You you kind of mentioned earlier that you have less stress to deal with, and and that's been beneficial. But happiness and confidence has it affected you? I my my confidence, you know, as far as I mean, I always was pretty confident. I'm an old athlete, so I probably had too much confidence at times. But as as I had no more money worries. You know, you feel like when someone asks you a question at work and they really want maybe an unpopular opinion or they need to know something, you know, I won't embarrass someone, but if I would tell them, you know, what I think, you know, um, and I don't really recall having to do that a lot, but I, I don't need the job, nor does my wife. And so the thing is, that's interesting about that, and we've talked about this a lot in our new job, is we're just, we just seem to take things in stride and you don't let the little irritants, they don't seem to, to bother you as bad because, you know, we're also older and we realize there's always going to be some frictions at jobs. And, uh, you know, and at the end of the month, when you see that you banked $10,000, I mean, then you has a tendency to help you forget the things that frustrated you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that said, you know, I don't envision a Johnny paycheck moment where I go to my boss and tell him the stuff it, it's not like that. It's just that I just feel more at ease in my job because uh, working is optional at this point. Yep. Yep. It's true. All right. Let's jump into these uh, these rapid fire questions. So, the most expensive jeans or, or pair of pants you have ever purchased? Oh, let's see. I think I bought some Levi's Dockers for fifty something at one point before I realized I could get them cheaper by using pennies coupons. <laughs> okay. Most expensive shoes? Oh, um. I think when I was in high school, I bought some Cole Haan, really nice penny loafers, tassels. I almost had like a um, hiking boot sole. They were awesome to me. I think they were like maybe $115, and we're talking like 19, early 80s. <laughs> yeah. Okay, most expensive car? Um, Let's see. Right, this last one, uh, $13,750 for my used Prius, 60,000 miles. Okay. Uh, what item or items or experiences on, on your journey here have been worth spending more money on? Oh, you know, the money I do not regret is um, slow travel. Years ago, when I had no money, I'd just gotten done playing basketball in El Salvador, and I think I had eight or $10,000 to my name. And I went to Brazil for three months and lived just like a local. And, uh, you know, I learned some Portuguese from that and just saw a different way of life. And it, that, that, that changed my life. You know, it was, uh, and then doing like long trips through Mexico, just riding the bus, you know, you're spending ho- money on hotels and eating out way too much, but that, that's money well spent. Okay. If you, your high school and college GPA, if you can remember. Oh, do I have to answer this? Let's see. Back when I was in high school, we didn't do the 4.0. It was more like a numeric grade. And I think I had an 87 was like my total numeric grade. I was probably somewhat of an underachiever. I mean, I wasn't all the gifted courses, but I, you know, also was a, a basketball player, like I said, and I spent a lot of time doing that. College, undergrad, oh, let's, I, I, it's brutal. Uh, I think it's a almost a two point one. I had no. I went to Davidson College, and I was very immature, and I was, I, I probably uh, just. 
I was I was not a good student. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> but I, I will say this. This is the point I always emphasized in any interview. I did graduate a a quarter early um, in spite of being the worst student ever because I knew I didn't like school at that point, and uh, I went to summer school and got ahead. And my last uh, quarter at, at Davidson, I had a room and I had a meal ticket, and I played basketball every day and drank beer every night. <laughs> Okay, if you if you had to guess now, what's your predicted retirement age and net worth at retirement? Oh, retirement! I don't know. It's hard to you know. I've stopped working before, so I guess like never work. I I don't know if I'm going to be retired in the sense of never working because I'm probably going to do like trade lines and have side hustles, things like that. But um, I, I guess maybe let's just say it's seventy. I'm tired of dealing with all that. Let's okay. see. Um, uh, net worth, I would say probably. Three to five million. Okay. Yeah. And last question here: Do you have any favorite books or favorite tools or or websites, whether that's a budgeting app or any anything that's been influential to you on, on your on your financial journey? Let's see. Um, the Bogle books, uh, I believe Bogle on mutual funds, really helped me. They might be a little dated now. Uh, I, w- one book I always like to throw out there: If you've got a little wanderlust in you. And you want to be able to, to finance a life like that. I always like Paul Terhorse cashing in on the American dream, how to retire at 35. It, it was written in the early 80s, but the guy did it. He was a CPA and he's lived overseas 40 years, living what I perceived as the dream, you know. Um, so that gave me a vision. So I recommend people that'd be a good one to look at. Um, I also, this summer I read for younger listeners, I read that Scott Trench book, um, Set for Life. And I thought it had a lot of wisdom, particularly for a young person starting out. And one last book I would recommend is J.L. Collins' Path to Wealth. It would give you kind of like the um, intellectual underpinnings on why you probably want a low-cost index approach to your investing. So those are my four books. Awesome, Jerry. One question from, from we get from our listeners quite frequently, people in your situation is do you plan on moving any of your money out of those index funds as you get closer into retirement and say bonds or, you know, more conservative type investments? You know, I've thought about that a lot and currently I don't have any plans to do that and I'll tell you why. Is at sixty I have a pension and I kind of view that as my bond portfolio. Um that's gonna be, you know, straight cash and like I said, forty five to sixty thousand. I will have the the dividend stream from my other investments paid to a bank account automatically. Uh, but that said, I might want to go to some bonds later. I, I just don't feel a need right now. Another thing that I factor in to that is, you know, if I have a, I'm tr- I'm trying to work on a a side hustle that yields about thirty thousand a year, and uh, you know, if I've got some income coming in from a side hustle, I don't feel the need, and I can take more of a um, a stock position because I, I don't plan on spending all the money in my lifetime. I plan on using that money to seed uh, my son, grandkids down the road, you know, and I also maybe, you know, some charitable things too. So that's cool. So what would you, yeah. what would your final piece of advice be to somebody who's just starting out and, and has dreams of becoming a millionaire, getting financially free at, at a younger age than the traditional norm? Well, I would say first thing is you need to get your mind right and, um, you know, check some of your assumptions running through your head. You know, your, what, what's your mindset as far as wealth? 
don't do like I did. Uh, you need to read some books and acquire some basic financial knowledge. And, and, you know, quite frankly, with all the, you know, with this fire movement and just with the internet, the, the, the information that's out there, it's not hard to tap into this vein these days. Another thing I would tell someone, I would say, you know, be aware that you're the captain of your own ship when it comes to your money. There's no government plan that's going to make you wealthy. And in and, and some regards, you're just going to have to do this alone. You know, you take take charge of your money, you know, learn about it and just realize health, help is not coming. I just I just don't see it. You know, I, I don't see how you can be a government program that's going to take care of your money problems. Um, I'm, I, that doesn't mean people won't promise it. But another thing I, I made a little note to myself here, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in just, you know, try to avoid debt as much as you can. Prep yourself with as much education and training as you can stand and slash afford. And then w- once you start earning money, you need to save till it hurts. And invest that money. Keep your eye on the cost. And, um, you know, enjoy the ride. You know, you've got to strike a happy balance with, with you know, a frugal lifestyle that's awesome. And then with some saving and investing. You know, you, you, you can't – you're not a monk. You're not going to be – Living on gruel for 20 years to, to hit your, your net worth goal. You're going to have to have some enjoyment along the way, but at the same time, you want to do some hardcore saving and some prudent investing. Awesome. Jerry with a net worth of 1.2 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for letting me share it. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.